everyone. Welcome to Everyman BJJ, a weekly show covering MMA and BJJ news and training tips. Good afternoon, Frank. Thanks for uh, carving out a little bit of your time uh, this afternoon. Um, I thought it'd be a good idea for you and I to jump online since we've recently had a, um, a, uh, a, a, I guess a consecutive series of guests, and now you know that the it, this feels different just to just to be able to speak to you. But uh, so, how are you doing? Yeah, I know. For everybody who doesn't know Noah, who's been my you know my good friend, you know one of my one of he takes private jujitsu lessons with me. He teaches me stuff about finance, and I teach him jujitsu, and we both try to sort of get smarter and better at life, and. Uh, so Noah's been like the, the, the Ed McMahon to my Johnny Carson, uh, you know, on the show. And, and now that we're having guests on, we've had Julia Salada, we've had Burt Watson, we've had Miguel Torres, we're going to have Uriah Faber, we're going to have Randy Couture, we're going to have Carlos Condit, we're going to have, one day I'm calling right now, we are going to have Dana White on here. Um, we're going to have a lot of the biggest names. We're going to have my, even my buddy Simon, who does this amazing stuff with, you know, body this, this incredible muscle building, magnificent body exercises. Simon Ada, who's an Australian who I used to live in the same um, condo complex as him as Las Vegas, does just some of the most spectacular stuff I've seen. We're going to have him on. But anyway, Noah, you've been very gracious in this transition where we're going to have guests and we're having conversations. Your speaking role has been dramatically reduced, but we're going to we're working on that. We're working on giving you a better role and, you know, and weaving you in more. So we're, we're going to be patient. It's we're, we're, we're still learning, you know, the rhythm, the, the, how this works with all of us. Um, but I wanted to say something because one of the things we've had, Noah is our tech guy. He, he makes the trains run on time. He does so much behind the scenes. He does good research. He does a lot of things that he doesn't get credit for that don't show up on the broadcast. Um, and, we, we have had a lot of technical difficulties sometimes where we, you know, we sign in and, and our, we go live and then it's gargled or it's jumbled and then somebody has to pop off. So anyway, we were talking about how to fix that and remedy that so that we can have a show where we have, we get better at the presentation. We don't have the technical difficulties because that's a nightmare when you're doing any podcast or any type of product production. It's a nightmare when you have technical difficulties, when there's a pause, when there's a disruption in the flow and the rhythm. And so, Noah, I started while you're there troubleshooting, trying to fix our technical difficulties so that we can have a very fluid and smooth broadcast. I started to talk. I mentioned uh, a UFC event back. I think it was April. This is how good my memory is. My memory, this is what it is. My memory is so bad about so many things. But if it's like a wrestling match, I can remember like almost every score of every wrestling match. I can remember winning it. I can remember like I have an encyclopedic memory of my wrestling career, a lot of my jiu-jitsu career. I can remember a lot of my, not all, but a lot of my training sessions, right? Is it crazy? And then I can't remember people's names and I don't remember birthdays and anniversaries and things like that. It's interesting how selective the human memory is. But I remember in April 2007, uh, going to Houston, Texas with Dana White. We went down there. I was working for the UFC at the time. I was working with Dana White closely. Very fortunate. And 
that that event, you, what we're going through now with our technical difficulties reminded me of Houston mm-hmm. because when I was down there with, with Dana, I, one, a couple of things I remember. I remember that night, Dana had his seat right at Octagon's side, right? It was like, it's right there. And he wanted me to sit in his seat for part of the show. And he said, he said, hey, sit there, Frank. And, it, and I knew it was Dana's seat. It wasn't the seat next to him, right? Every now and again, I sat in the seat next to him temporarily. Right. But it that's was cool. Yeah. It was Dana's seat. Right. There's a difference between the seat next to Dana at the time, the seat next to Dana and Dana's actual seat. So he said, hey, Frank, sit down there. And I said, I felt like not not worthy. Like it was just it was too much. And I said, nah, Dana, it's all right, man. Like, it's it's cool. I really appreciate that. And he's like, come on, sit down there. And I said, nah, man, it's, it's good, man. That's your seat, whatever. And he this is the only time Dana White ever got mad at me. Right. You know, people say Dana's got a temper and Dana this and Dana that Dana White was always kind. He was always funny. He was always respectful to me in the in the six or seven years that I dealt with him. He was always nice. He was always respectful. This was the only time I saw him get a little bit pissed was something so trivial as Frank. He's like, come on. You know, he's like he got serious, like, dude, sit in the seat for for heaven's sake. Right. So I was like, wow, he means it. Like he's getting, he's getting offended that I won't sit in a seat. Right? So it's like somebody trying to do you a favor and you won't accept it. Somebody trying yeah. to give you a gift and you and you're too proud and you won't accept it. But he was a little bit pissed there for a moment. He just kind of looked at me like, dude, are you how hard-headed are you gonna be? Please, I'm asking you, I would love for you to sit in my seat. So I sat in his seat. Well, anyway. That night happened to be the infamous night. One of the biggest upsets still to this day that ever happened was Matt Sarah knocking out GSP. You might remember it was a very quick knockout. I remember Dana saying, I remember Dana coming out, coming out of the dressing room a couple of fights before the main event, before the title fight with GSP and Matt Sarah. I remember Dana saying, man, I just visited uh, GSP's um, dressing room. And he's sweating, and I've never seen him so nervous. And it's like I remember Dana saying that, like very poignantly, very prophetically. And he didn't say, "I think Matt, I think tonight GSP is going to lose." He just made that remark. Like I noticed something different about GSP in the dressing room. He's a little bit sweaty. He's very anxious. I've never seen him look that nervous. Didn't know what to make of that. Anyway, that night, that's the infamous fight where Sarah storms him clips GSP behind the ear, right? And kind of in the back of the head, you know, it's still a legal punch, but behind the ear, that's where the equilibrium center is to the human body. That's where your balance center is, right? So you might not even be hurt per se, right? It's not like it rocks your world. You don't see stars necessarily, but you get hit behind the equilibrium and you kind of do the chicken dance and you're just kind of, you're just like, how do I stay up, right? And, and you see GSP just kind of like tripping all over the octagon, stumbling, trying to stay up. And of course, Matt Sarah pounces him Biggest upset, maybe the biggest upset in a, in a title fight in UFC history. Chael Sonnen would have been the biggest if he, if he could have completed the upset against Anderson Silva in, in the first fight where he, Chael Sonnen was dominating that fight until about 90 seconds left and famously got caught in a triangle. So anyway, I remember that night in Houston, though, that, they, that you know, in, in between the UFC fights, if you've ever been to a live UFC event, there are... There's music, right? The music, they have the promo show where they show you the highlight reel. Teenage Wasteland comes on and everybody's 
just puts, you know, goosebumps down your arm and everybody's really into it. And, and it's the show within the show, right? You've got, you've got the songs, you've got the walkouts. And I remember in between fights, they were playing music and it's, you know, it's got a lot of bass. They like a lot of bass and it's feeling good. And for a moment, the music stops in the arena. As you've got like 14, 15,000 seats there. I think it was, a, it might've been a sellout. By the way, that fight was so significant. It was also the day in the days that followed the uh, Sports Illustrated put UFC on the front of the on the front of Sports Illustrated. That was a very landmark moment for a company that had been beleaguered, that had been flatlined, that they didn't know if they were going to financially make it. They were sixty million in the hole, and then to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated, the article it was it was Roger Berta and I think Leonard Garcia on the cover. The Sports Illustrated article was kind of bittersweet, kind of like uh, you know um, like a, a backhanded compliment where they. They were they, they put it on the front, which was great, and they told the story of the UFC, which was great, but there was also a lot of criticism, almost still kind of like, should this really be legal, right? So it was mm. still kind of like, these guys don't get it. But so, you know, it was it, but, but also if you were sort of from the Don King School of Publicity, which is no publicity is bad publicity, right? You know, bring Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bale Circus, you know, uh, you know, um, um, PT Barnum 101 or something, right? Nope, there's no, no, no such thing as bad publicity. So in any event, the power went out during the show for a moment. At least the music, not the power, the music went out. And then the music's out for like, it felt like it was like 15, 20 seconds, right? And it's kind of surreal because if you're ever at a UFC show, unless you're there for the first fight or something, there's never, a, or you know, 30 minutes before the first fight, there's never a moment where there's no music. In fact, even before the first fight, they're usually playing music. There's usually music then. So for the power, for the for the music to go out, it's like, you know, who stopped? It's like a screeching record, like, and then you're like, and I just remember Dana being like, you know, he kind of, he has the oldest cell phone in the world. So Dana White probably to this day doesn't like the modern cell phones with all the perks. He had like the flip it, the flip it one back then, even when there were more advancements. So he's just sitting there, he texting, whatever. And he's just like, he just looks up. He's like, oh my, he's like, well, that just let all the power out of this place. And he was kind of, you know, he was pissed inside, but it's like, what am I going to do right now? Right? Like, he's like, well, that just, that just sucked all the air out of this place. And that made him think back, I believe, to UFC 33, which was uh, Vladimir uh, Matyushenko versus Tito Ortiz main event. And the, 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 the pay-per-view stopped. The, pay, the, the UFC went over its allotted time, which I think was three hours, and the pay-per-view stopped. So mid-fight, the, the main event's going on. Pay-per-view stop. That's it. So you're watching. You pay for it. You don't see the final result. You got to check somewhere else online. So the UFC had a big problem there, where they had to refund. So they're very sensitive about any the production. That's why I was saying to you off air. One of the secrets to what the UFC does, it's not just branding. They have great attorneys. You know, they're very protective of their of their letters of of a lot of parts of, of, of MMA, they have like, a, when I was there, they had like 140 attorneys. So those attorneys, whether you're illegally streaming a UFC or you're violating an infringement of a copyright or a patent there, that's part of their secret sauce. But the other thing is just that there are great fights under other organizations out there. There are absolutely great UFC fights. I mean, some really good ones, no doubt UFC is the best, but you could, you know, there's a lot of good cage fighting out there and, and highlight real knockouts that are, you know, much smaller organizations where the UFC crushes everybody. It's not just the marketing. It's not just that Dana White's a great promoter. It's not just the best fighters. They crush the competition 
on the presentation and the production. They crush everybody. They they refine that so much, you know, from the music, how loud the music is, to to the walkout, to how many cameras, to different camera angles, to a lot of intricacies with the lighting, um, to the broadcast booth. You know, they they are phenomenal at that, and that was sort of the. It's amazing what you and I were going through started this cascade, like this avalanche, where I started thinking back to UFC that night in Houston, Texas, when Matt Sarah pulled uh, pulled that huge upset. Well, I, I'm you know I'm glad you uh, bring that up. Yeah, there's I, I when I first you know it's coincidentally um, I think this you know as far as episode counter this makes this one number fifty two. Mm-hmm. Okay, and um, this this podcast started on uh, December 15th of uh-huh. 20, 2019. And um, you and I, uh, you know, you and I discussed it uh, when I was back home, uh, back in um, Vegas during Thanksgiving. And we rolled and I'm like, guys, we really should get together and start doing a podcast. And, and the motivation there was we're there on the mat after we trained and just talking so much. And I'm like, mm-hmm. there's a, there's a lot of stuff that we need to put down. And, and so I just had a vision. And I just had a vision of us getting together and doing all this. But then, um, so I went back to New York and I'm working and I'm working in the, um, uh, in my work schedule is where, you know, I'm not around family so I, I can like spend all my extra time doing stuff. And so I spent a few days, like, just researching how does all – technically, how do you do all this? It was mm-hmm. a very intimidating – it was very intimidating for me on multiple levels. And so I figured out how to, you know, how to, how, how to uh, connect the streaming software to YouTube. But there's also, you know, we have social media accounts and there's branding involved. And then there's um, there's YouTube itself, and, and making all these procurement type of questions, you know, these decisions, uh, you know, like well, which one's better, which one's better? And, and do I have the right tech? Do I have the right equipment or not? And at some point, I got to the point. It's like we just got to go. We got to just start doing this. And so I, so I did what's called you know, minimum viable approach. You know. What what do I need to at least get us up and running? So I I put together all those pieces, and we have, um, and then as a team, um, you know, we, we got together, and I didn't know how we were going to do all this, and you know, so I was learning like you know where to show what what's a show note, you know, um, and then you know, there's hashtags involved, and so I. It went through that learning curve, and then I found out there's this there's this whole support industry around podcasting, and so I went and checked that stuff out. And then the pandemic came along, and I was working, and I had to come back uh, from Vegas and and exit um, New York, so I had less free time um, then uh, because I'm busy with other things. However, we've kind of coasted. On just that initial, uh, on that, on just on that initial investigation, that inv- initial um, procurement type of process I went through, 
And it's just very light incremental. I've been studying and, and picking up on things. And it isn't until we start having problems or things like that, that I, that, you know, I activate and I, I react to that. Um, so I, what I'm saying here is um, I recognize, um, I recognize at this point that, um, you know, I, I really need to fix, um, you know, I, I need to address some of the constraints we're having. Um, and so I'm going to address those um, in the coming months uh, where we'll all have good technology that will dras- dramatically improve um, dramatically improve the uh, quality of the production of the podcast uh, with the video, you know, I'll get, I'll get us a, a set of uh, uh, laptops that have graphics cards in them. Because I think the big problem is, you know, we need to have technology that has good graphics cards. And I, to be honest, I'm operating off of a six, maybe seven year old MacBook air. And technology has come a long way since then. So that's something e- that's an easy fix for me. Um, and then I also need to figure out, you know, this is done over Wi-Fi. And, you know, what we've got to do is like, at least we've got to just knock, nail down what is optimal in every scenario, you know, with, with every factor, you know, with every factor. So um, I know at this point I've got to, um, I need to get an Ethernet connection to whatever cable, um, you know, whatever my, uh, you know, this has got to be hardwired. You know, this just has to be hardware. And um, the way I do that is I need a docking station for this laptop where it docks into uh, a a little mothership. It docks Mm -hmm. into it and it will automatically charge it for me. It'll charge the laptop. Uh, But I can also have the whole, I can have the laptop itself closed. The clam, you know, it's clamshells closed and have monitors up with a camera. This is one of the interesting things from this. And for people out there who, who just, you know, we're listening to the technical jargon. Maybe you don't want to do a podcast. You're like, well, I don't really care, you know, about whatever. But what I love, what I just took out of what you just said, in addition to the commitment, right here, we are roughly a year ago. We said we were going to do it. We've done it. We have very few viewers, but we're believing in it. We're passionate about it. We enjoy it. We know that slowly we, we can we can build it up. We're creating this great content, this great library of content. We think it'll be worth something someday, even if it's not, like you said, we have these discussions anyway. We have them anyway. We might as well bottle them up. And if they have value someday to other people, if they have educational entertainment value, hooray, hooray. And then that obviously can help us too. That can help us to create a ripple and reach even more people. But what you, what I really took away was the, it's, it's that old wisdom. Start right where you are. Stop waiting for the perfect time. A guy like me has been guilty of that throughout my life as such a perfectionist, right? Paralyzed by perfection, paralysis by analysis. And when I hear you, we did exactly that, Noah. We just made a decision. We didn't know, we didn't know how. We didn't know how. All we did was we, we made a choice. We made a decision. And we've, we've stayed committed. We have committed to a decision. And the how, week by week by week, with things going right, with things going wrong, the how to do that, the how to improve, 
is being revealed to us little by little by little, the how. But we said, what's the best we can do right now? Neither one of us, you've done very well financially and in, 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 at times in your life. I know you're going to do very well financially again. I have no doubt. But a lot of us right now, a lot of us have, are on shoestring budgets. We're, we're living as tight and as lean as we can. Money's tight. We don't all have the best technology. We're not all technology computer experts. So what we did, we made a decision and we said, let's start right where we are, right here, right now. Is it optimal? Are there all kinds of stuff like you and I talk off the air? We want to do this. We want to do this. We want to do that. And it's like, we're going to get there, but we started and we're, and it's just like we were white belts, right? I mean, I think some things that we do, if people, if people start paying attention, I mean, we don't run a flawless podcast. We still have a lot of room for improvement on the presentation, on the flow, on even some of the guests, the bigger name guests will have a lot of room for improvement, but there's all, I always say this to you, there's always gold in these podcasts. I challenge anybody, if you listen, if we do a 90 minute podcast, I don't care who's on, I don't care if it's just you and me. If we do an hour or a 90 minute podcast, I can promise you that at, a, at least a couple different intervals of that video, there's some gold in there. There's some, there's an, uh, there's an aha moment waiting for anybody who dares to, to listen through it. It's always in there. And that's, I think that's a testament that we are white belts at some of the production, at some of the presentation. We're, we're operating on a shoestring budget, but we're dropping some jewels. We're dropping some gems in the podcast itself. If somebody wants to listen, if somebody's going, because I was thinking of this today as we were getting ready to talk, I was like, this is something I think a lot about. I mean, I, I just talked to a guy in Vegas who's a very successful guy. He would do these mega events, these big events, and, and 800 people would come. And, I mean, he, would, he, he was rolling over. Everybody wanted to partner with him. Everybody wanted to be a sponsor of the events, and it was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then COVID happened, and COVID shut down live events, right? It's, like, really hard right now if you're in the live event business, to do anything. So he had to sell his business. I mean, he's like selling his car. He had to sell his, and that business was like blowing up. It was blowing up. If I said the name, if I said the name and you're in Las Vegas, the odds are very good. You would recognize it. You would recognize the franchise. Like, damn, this dude was, was killing it. And COVID came along and boom. And he told me too, as I'm, as I'm listening to him, this is a very mentally strong guy, tough guy, done very well like a Jedi. I mean, a spiritual guy. And he's like, I don't know what I would have done if I was, you know, if I wasn't able to make a few moves here and there, like selling the friend, I don't know what I would have done. Like he's got, you know, he's got kids. It's like, damn, like, like he was, he was really up. He was really feeling the burn, right? He was really going through the fire. And I didn't recognize that even on his Facebook chat. I didn't recognize that even on social media, like how much he was going through. So what I'm saying is when I think about my you know, we talked with Miguel Torres yesterday. Great interview, right? That, that's that's going to be posted pretty soon. Um, and when I think about my why for doing this, different why, you and I are going to do it anyway. There's a chance to monetize it. But one of the big things for me is that there's people like the, like my friend, and you never know, like Miguel said, Frank, you inspire me with, with the food, with your posts about food and eating healthy. You just don't know who you're impacting. You don't know 
you know, Miguel isn't some super fan on my on my social media channel. It's not like he's liking everything and sharing. So I had no idea that it's having that impact. And we don't know who's which of our friends is watching, who's watching it, who needs the message. We don't know. And so that's a reason to just do what's in your heart. You never know how many the ripple you can create, how many people. And what happens is like a guy like me, you you know this, you know that I'm protective of some of my ideas, right? I get I get flack from some of my friends like, Frank, why you hold back your ideas? Why don't you say that publicly? Why are you vaulting things? Why are you keeping it to yourself? And what I've realized is that's something I have to stop. I have to stop doing that. And I equate it with, let's say, love. If you love halfway, at best, you're getting halfway love coming back at you. Love is a risk where a lot of us are afraid to love fully, completely, because it's devastating. It's so vulnerable. It's devastating when it's not reciprocated, if it falls apart. But guess what? If anybody's ever going to have any shot at love, it has to be all the way love. It's the only way. You get what you give. If you want to be a champion, if you want to be a world champion of something, you've got to act like a world champion. You've got to bleed. There's no guarantee that if you train for an Olympic title, there is no guarantee that you go to the Olympics. I don't care if you're the number one seed at the Olympics. There is no guarantee that you're walking out of there with a gold medal. You're taking a risk. You're taking a risk with your with your with your health because you get hurt. You're taking a risk that with your feelings because your feelings get hurt. You could say you could not win the Olympics and say I just wasted four years of my life. I just wasted ten years of my life on this Olympic dream. That is always going to be that risk. And what I'm thinking is, Frank, you're holding your stuff back. Yeah. And so yeah, yeah. People don't get to steal your stuff. Because you hold it back, but guess what? People who need to hear the message don't get to hear the message. Yeah. The person, the people who benefit, they get deprived of it too. And I've had to wrestle with that. And I said, you know what? You got to stop, Frank, keeping it to yourself. You got to put more of your good stuff out there, not for you, but for the people that need to hear it. Because we have no idea, especially in this 2020, a tough year for a lot of people, tough year financially, tough year mentally. And we just don't know who's listening and who needs to hear the message. So for me, when I think of the why, here we are almost one year in. It's like we're not making a big impact now, but you never know. You never know who's listening. You never know what it will become. I know that our motives are true, and I know that we're talking about things that are important. We're talking about things that a lot of people out there are wrestling and grappling and struggling with. Well, Frank, let me um, uh, let me let me get in there. Let me elbow you out of the way real quick, uh, because I want to, I want to, I, w- I want to share with you a similar, a similar uh, thought, a similar set of feelings that I'm having. Um, and the most recent was yesterday. I was downstairs in front of my stove making dinner, and. You know, I this this creeping thing about about you know this perfectionism, and for me, one of the things that I've had to deal with uh, it, all this time, and I keep thinking of like I keep thinking of like my one of my former bosses, and this person, uh, I can just hear the voice of saying. Yeah, did you see what he's doing nowadays? He's just on the, you know, he just got this long beard and he's just talking about fighting all the time on on a podcast with some guy. And, and I just, 
I'm hearing that negative soundtrack playing in my head. Um, and, and I, you know, and it's a, it's something that it, there's something that goes on in New York with New York, New Yorkers. And it's, they're really good. And this is just, this is a generalization. Not everyone mm-hmm. does this, but it's common. And if you ever lived in New York for any amount of time, you, you will identify with what I'm saying here. And it's, it's easy to sit back and just criticize someone and, and tear them down and just make little, you know, comments about them. It's easy to do that. It's easy to sit back and criticize than it is to put yourself out there and be vulnerable. So every time that voice says that, I have over here, I have another voice. And that voice is Brene Brown. Who oh, is it? I was just thinking of the same quote. Go ahead and say it. I was thinking of the same quote. I just saw it yesterday. Go ahead. I was well, it's the, she, she, wrote a, she wrote a series of books. Uh, coming from her work, she's a University of Houston um, social uh, professor of social work, and and um, she wrote a book uh, called "The Gifts of Imperfe- Imperfection." Mm. Okay, um, and this thing we're doing about being vulnerable. You and I are now fifty some odd, I think fifty two episodes. <laughs> Uh, into doing just this one practice that we're doing, this practice that we're doing where we're talking to each other. And what's weird about it is, um, you know, the more I learn about neuroscience and how the brain operates, um, you and I have, our brains are kind of starting to harmonize in a way. Our, our, our patterns of thinking and the way we think, we have, we, we actually have mirror neurons which um, enable us to feel what the other person feels. You know, that's, that's good. They're called mirror neurons because they mirror each other. Um, well, this I is real. Brene Brown, as you were saying what you were saying a minute ago, I was thinking Brene Brown, Brene Brown. And you and I have never discussed Brene Brown, by the way. Yeah, we have. I think we have. You've interjected her. I, I wasn't as familiar. I saw the quote yesterday, uh, a friend of mine. So you know that Robert Drysdale just got who we had on our had on our pod. I'm gonna let you finish the thought in a second. But Robert Drysdale, who we had on our podcast a couple episodes ago, I, just got is a, this public? Okay. Yeah, it's public. It's it's all over. You know, he, okay. he just got he, he just got his first TEDx talk, and and I told him I made a promise to him one day. I said, you know, we're gonna get you a TEDx talk, and we did. And the organizer of the event here in Las Vegas is named Sarah Lawrence. So it's now Sarah Lawrence, great woman. I mean, she's a great, great organizer. She's a very special person. So, you know, the goal of this is not just the TEDx talk, it's the relationships, it's the bonding that happens. So now her and I are friends on Facebook. Part of me is scared of that because I'm like, you know, I'm a different dude. If you dig into my Facebook stuff, it's kind of like, you know, people who who meet you in one in one atmosphere, then they yes. see what's really going, like my post the other day where I said, you know, dying to choke someone, Legally, of course. Well, if you're from academia or you're from a more pure corporate world and you see that, you might not know how to interpret that at first glance. Like, well, yeah, what, yeah, what yeah. is that? You know, so, you, you, you know, when you get to know someone better, you encounter that. Anyway, Sarah Lawrence had a post just last night from Brene Brown, which says something like the equivalent of Churchill's quote, very similar to Churchill's quote, where it's the man in the, you know, it's, it's not the spectator. It's the. That's it's Roosevelt. The 
Yeah, what, tell tell us that quote, and I'll tell Brene Brown's. Quote oh well, no, quote. yeah, no, this is yeah, this is a dig, very dig, famous. Dig, dig I'm going to quote up really quick. Though, yeah, yeah, this is the this is Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, this is uh, this is uh, Theodore Roosevelt's quote uh, about man in the uh, arena. All right, and um, uh, yeah, so uh, what is the what is that quote? Can you dig that up really quick? Yeah, I'm just going to read it to you. Um, yeah. Um, I can't read. I can't read some of this. So let me pull them up. But yeah, she loves this. She loves this quote. And um, I, we're gonna have to dig. You know what? We're gonna have to go a la Malcolm Gladwell, who is like, as far as my favorite authors um, and writers, Malcolm Gladwell is like on top of that. He's he is part of the Mount Rushmore to me of writers to and think and about. He's a New Yorker, and he's a New Yorker, I believe. Canadian lives in New York. Is he a Canadian? Yeah, I know it's weird. Okay, so, well, before you before you mention Malcolm, let me say the Brene Brown quote really quick though. So the Brene, Brene the Brown quote, Theodore Roosevelt quote. Okay, we're gonna do <laughs> the Theodore Roosevelt, and then we'll do Gladwell. Let me do Brene. So Brene Brown it was something to the effect of if your ass isn't, hey, I'll read it to you. Huh? Let me read. Let me read to you the whole thing. Ready? Are you gonna read me Roosevelt or Brene Brown? Roosevelt. Okay. Go ahead it isn't. Roosevelt. It isn't. Okay, I'm quoting here. It is not the critic who counts. Not the man who points out how, um, not the man who points out how strong the man stumbles, or how the strong man stumbles, or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is in, who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly who errs, who comes short again and again because there's no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds? Who does great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who na- neither know victory nor defeat. Now we got to change that to no, let, the let, let, every Paul, man. Paul, let, let, let that merit it. Let's let that sink in for just like three seconds. Like, yeah, that that that's beautiful. And Brene Brown put it a little more succinctly which was something to the effect of and i need to memorize it but it was like if you're she used the word ass i was surprised you know like she's this ted superstar and she's this phd and it was like look if your ass isn't in the arena then basically you need to shut the you know shut the hell up you just you have no say you have no say and you know that that's good for everyone because if you believe that quote like if you and i believe what Roosevelt said, what Brene Brown was saying, what mm-hmm. we say in our own way, which is, if you're immune, if you're if you're more bulletproof to the critics, you're going to get a lot further. Because like you said, a lot of us have that voice in our ear. What is my relative going to say? What is my significant other going to say? Those people that are telling us, again, back in 2001, 2002, you were going to jujitsu practice, you were going to MMA practice, you're stupid, you're dumb. What are you doing? You're wasting your time. Yeah. Why do you like that? Yeah. People don't understand things. And 
you're doing it when you're doing something this is the interesting thing when you are doing something faithfully faithfully and lovingly and you're not making money that's called passion and no one should be able to interfere with that nobody who loves you nobody who's a who's a critic nobody who's a co-worker nobody should mess with something sacred like you know because i you and i talk about this noah if you're going to open a restaurant right if someone was going to come open a restaurant and they were going to come to you me whoever like you don't need to be a genius to be like you could tell them a hundred reasons why their restaurant's going to fail or their product's going to fail there's always a hundred everybody it's quicker if you wanted to say look give me a hundred reasons why it will fail Give me a hundred reasons why it will succeed. Guess what? We can all fill up the hundred reasons why it will fail quick as any. That list can get compiled quickly. It's a lot harder to fill up the reasons why it will succeed. You and I have talked about this. All you need, I use the phrase, and I bought the domain, one great why. All you need is one great why. One great why trumps. It beats up a million wow. why nots. Wow, one great why. It up a million why nots. It's more powerful. As long as that one great why, as long as that one why is dominant, as long as it's dominant in your cells, in your in the fiber of your being, it will knock out, it will beat up the million why nots. Because the why nots are almost always going to be longer than the whys. This is beautiful, dude. And nobody, and that is sacred ground. So when you have, whether it's a kid, whether it's you, whether it's me, when you have somebody and it's like, it's really, they're really passionate about them right? You mm-hmm. do not dare. We have no right to stomp on that. We can ask them questions that might help them clarify it, that might help them zero in on something that might help them accelerate or make better progress. We have no right, even if they're going to fail, even if it's a bad idea, if it is their passion, if they're doing it faithfully, if they're doing it lovingly, we have to, if it's your kid, you have to let them do that and work through that. There's no guarantee of success. But if we were going to sit here and be like, okay, the list of why not is longer than the list of why, guess what? Nobody would ever open a business. Nobody would ever fall in love. Nobody would ever start a brand or whatever. Nobody would do anything because the list, it's a tough world. It's a competitive world. It's a cruel world sometimes. But the passion itself is so important. That love, that's what sustains us. That's what makes us feel alive, you know? So... That is such a um, such a sacred thing, and that's why the Roosevelt quote and the Brene Brown quote is just so they're so powerful and so and so resonating. You you just revealed that you have the domain name to one great why. Um, um, well, you've got it, uh, and you know I, it, that's weird. That uh, uh, you know, um, let, let me uh, before we went out, let me kind of steer myself back to what I wanted to wanted to say. Um, there's something slowly happening um, week by week, podcast by podcast, episode by episode of you and I getting together and me talking to you. And it, it's like my brain is slowly changing from um, it's, it's like I'm getting strength, you know, from, from this, um, you know, uh, there's a lot of, uh, uh, that's why I was bringing up the mirror neurons um, topic is, is I'm getting a lot. I'm, you know, you're talking about you learning from me because, you know, I share with you like tech stuff and 
Um, and you're and defining, more of a, defining intellectual expertise, which a lot of people watching don't know, but you you have worked for a lot of maybe you, you don't you don't even give yourself enough credit, Noah. You you really you know you you know a lot there. You're very passionate about it. I've seen your pupils dilate. I've said I've never seen a person talk about accounting as enthusiastically as exuberantly. Um, you know, I know that you transition like me. You have a lot of different interests, but you know that that is definitely an area where you you know one percent, two percent of the population has done has been where you've been in terms of the accounting space. So, um, thanks, Frank. But I want to also say that you're. Um, I, I, I guess from, you know, you're doing things like you're, you're very rigid and, and that's, that can have a negative connotation, but I'm talking about in a, in a healthy, salubrious, positive way. Um, you're rigid on how you, on what you eat and, and how you consume things. And in terms of you're living a martial artist lifestyle, um, it's, you're very, I can tell just by being around you, you are very far down that path of being a, a martial artist. You are a real martial artist, Frank. And, um, I want to commend you on living your life as a martial artist. You know, you don't have to have stepped into the ring and be a professional fighter for me to say that. You know, for me to observe that, you know, we all at some point and a lot of UFC fighters are finding out very soon they're going to have to use the word former UFC fighter um, because part of your part of this life cycle uh, of being a martial artist or are you a fighter or are you a martial artist? And we're about to see when 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 fighters uh, when these UFC fighters become former UFC fighters, we're going to see this filter process occur of which ones were actually martial artists and which ones um, were just fighters, you know? And because some guys, you're starting to see where some of them just did it for the money. You're going to see somebody just did it for the money. And if you do it just for the money, um, money, that is a, that is a hollow objective. All right. There has to be something greater to that than just that, because once the money stops, then where, where's it, where do your passions go? And a lot of these guys, whenever the money stops, they don't, they have not established themselves. Um, um, and I'm not talking about, uh, they've, they, they live for that high, that, that, that brain chemical dump they're they're addicted there there's an addiction there there's an addiction cycle to that fame to that fortune and they don't have you know and whenever that goes away the down aspects of it is this massive opportunity for numbing behavior to 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 occur and that's that's and that's where the darkness comes in the the, the addictions you know I gotta gamble so that I can try to make up more money because I'm not fighting anymore and hey it's fun when I win once and you know they, they replace one addiction one addiction with another okay but really what you got to go back to is is like like you know I, I'd like to for us to talk to Justin Wren um, 
you know, he, he's had some ups and downs in his fight career. Um, and you have a couple of acquaintances that have gone through many surgeries and they've gone through many ups and downs in their, their fight career. But what makes them a martial artist is are they able to take that and still live the path? And I think a lot of, you know, that's, that is where the divergence of the whys occur. You know, I, I would be, and I am very concerned about Conor McGregor and I'm very concerned right now about Anderson Silva because Anderson Silva, um, he was a martial artist that was also a fighter and as a fighter, I don't know if the Mar- I don't know if An- Arthur, um, Arthur Anderson, I don't know if Anderson Silva, the fighter or the martial artist, is bigger right now than Anderson Silva, the fighter. Because Anderson Silva, the fighter, is done, from my understanding. He's done as a as a professional fighter, but does, does can he reconnect to? Anderson Silva, the martial artist that everyone, you know, saw him as. And, and, you know, you know, I see these, I see these fighters and I, I wonder which ones are the martial artists. Well, th- this is the thing though. I was, it, I, it's, it's weird. I was, I was at, I went grocery shopping last night before we did the interview with Miguel Torres uh-huh. and, and I bought all these groceries and I was rushing because I wanted to get home and get something mm-hmm. to eat. And then we we're going to shoot the podcast with Miguel, our yeah. Saturday podcast. Right. And I remember sitting, you know, I remember being in the car and, and for some reason I was thinking, you know, I was thinking about, you know, a book that I'm writing right now that you and I have talked about. I won't say the name of it, but a book that I've been working on, I've been writing a lot. And, and I was thinking, you know, cause we always talk about how, how great, jiu-jitsu and the martial arts are for people building right put your son and daughter in there and how great it is and it's absolutely it is great i mean it's one of the best things i think you can do for your kids especially in if you're in zip codes where there's a lot of bullying right it's 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 phenomenal for 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 confidence building um for respecting others for you know having a bunch of people who have all of these political and religious and racial, whatever differences, whatever people use to divide us, but you get on those mats and none of it matters, right? It's a meritocracy. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about how much, but I was thinking, Frank, what you were talking about, like the the, the warrior poet ideal or the or the true mar, true martial arts ideal. And the irony for me is that, you know, I haven't trained in a year. That's the longest I haven't trained in probably 30 some years, right? Some of that's been COVID, some of that's been injuries. And so I haven't, I'm dying literally, like I'm, I'm like walking around the gym and looking at guys and imagining, literally like imagining how I would triangle him, I would heel hook him, I would, you know, I just kind of do that. I, I'm like uh, crazy. It's like, I'm just like, that's my body's way of saying, hey, get on a mat, like train, right? And, or just, or just get a mat to start collecting people, whatever, right? Start teaching, whatever, teach white belts, just get on the mat. Like Daniel Beleza, a great black belt in in, in uh, age defying black belt in York, PA, or wherever he had his own academy. Like most of his students were white and blue belts. And he was going to worlds and beating Guillermo Mendez and 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 placing third at the forties. Forty year old guy placing third at the worlds, all ages, and upsetting uh, you know um, Guillermo Mendez, who's who's a phenom, right? And so I'm thinking, hey, be do it, pull a Daniel Beleza. But I'm really I'm thinking, you know, 
if I'm honest with myself, we all have different journeys. The greatest gains for me in the last two and a half years have not come on the mats. And, I, and when I say that, I'm not trying in any way. I'm so grateful. Jiu-Jitsu knocked me up levels. It, it, it helped awaken me. It helped improve my consciousness. It made me more collaborative with people, right? Not just always competitive, but collaborative and cooperative. And so a lot of wonderful things. But and I always say jujitsu does not necessarily mean you're an outstanding person. It just makes you better than you would have otherwise been. We have flawed people who do messed up things just like any other ecosystem. We're not, you know, it's not perfect human beings, kind of like church, right? You know, a, a, a good church there is full of sinners. Like who needs it? Who's coming? Who's showing up? Who's supposed to show up at church? Like people who need it the most, people that are messed up. Like if there, that's what, that's what churches should be full of. It shouldn't be full of saints. It should be full of people who are like, Hey, I want to restart. I want to reset. So in any event, I'm sitting in the car for a second. I'm just thinking, I think I even hit record on my, on my phone. Cause you know, I'm always talking about, I go nowhere without pen and pad. I always have pen and pad with me in the bathroom, in the car, the gym. And that's to me, you've got to be ready to capture those ideas. But I was thinking like, for me, you, you know, a little about me, but for me, there was a spiritual level that I had to hit. There was a bottom that I had to hit. And that really transcended even, um, it wasn't about being on a mat or wrestling or jiu-jitsu. Because in some ways, Noah, as much as jiu-jitsu and the martial arts have built me, as wonderful as it's been, as, as much as it's crystallized who I am and brought to the surface, there's also an ugly side there that, that I didn't like. Like, I mean, I could be, I've had moments, you know, guys out there will say I've had moments in practice where I wasn't the best sport. I've had moments at tournament. I remember I, I was at Masters Worlds one year and I won the match. And there was a there was a discrepancy in the scoring. I thought I won three nothing. They gave it to the other guy by an advantage. It was preposterous, right? I didn't have a coach in that match. I flipped under the bleachers. I, you know, I was just, I went under the bleachers and I was just by myself. And then the guy who, who they gave the victory to came, he just happened to come under there, right? <laughs> I just looked a hole through him. And I said something to him like, bro, that was the biggest crock of BS they handed it to you, right? Brazilian guy. Mm -hmm. And they and I was not a good sport. Did the, did they mess up? Yeah, they did mess up. But it wasn't his fault, right? I mean, the 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 Frank right here, right now, would not have done that. The higher ideal Frank, the better self. So what I'm saying is competition fight week has also brought out a side of me that I don't like. It's brought a side out of me that it's like, I'm not proud of that guy, right? It's so ultra competitive. And I mean, I always followed the rules. I never broke rules, but I just wanted to win so bad and winning was everything. And that's what Robert Drysdale's TEDx is going to be about. You know, what's the point of winning? That's his, that's his TEDx. And it's going to be, a, it's a great topic. It's like, I've won a lot, but then when I don't win, it's like, the drive home sucks. The next week or two weeks sucks. I'm not the happiest person to be around. Uh, you know, just more angry, more intense, difficult to be around. And it's like, and so for me, on the martial arts journey, rising above that, just Frank the human, like Frank the be a good human Frank, right? Like it's like, hey, you've got to stop being so competitive. You've got to start being more cooperative. You've got to start sharing more. You Even if they, the judges got it wrong or the refs got it wrong, even if you were screwed over, even if the other side was wrong, mm -hmm. you don't have to be that character. And it's taken me 
a long time. So when I sit here, do I consider myself a martial artist? I do. Robert Drysdale has said to me, he said some very nice things about me in terms of like, hey, Frank, Frank's fighting spirit stacks up with, I've trained with the best. It stacks right up there. You know, that's very flattering. And it means a lot to me when Robert says that, you know, he said that. You say that. I do consider myself a martial arts, but I am well aware of how many times during this journey I've fallen short. I'm well aware of the ugliness that has come to the surface sometimes, of the darkness, of the dark side of me. I'm well aware of that, that surfaces during an intense training session, that surfaces during the ride home when things didn't go my way for whatever reason. I'm well aware of that. I'm very human in that way. And for me to get through that and say, Frank, how do you transcend that? How do you build your character and not be the guy that makes excuses, not be the guy that says anything, that, 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 that says, well, I lost because of whatever, or you're pissed at the guy who beat you, even if he got a BS bogus refs decision, right? How do you be the high character person, like a really like loving, forgiving, like super high character, like a real martial artist, you know? Not, not like even like a samurai who's like, look, even if I beat you, you know, the samurai, some, of the, some of the enlightened samurai like Musashi would say, listen, even if I conquer the opposition, I will never dance on their carcass. It's not a good day. It's not a happy day. It's not a happy day even if you win a war and you look around and there's dead people. Even if your side wins. There's nothing to celebrate or be super happy about. Mm -hmm. It's sad. A real martial artist would be on a battlefield and see the dead and feel like, you know, would feel a respect even for their enemy, just like we see in the high levels of UFC where two people almost, you know, half kill each other and then they're hugging. That's a real martial artist because they realize we see the oneness in them. We realize the value of other people. We care about other people. We empathize. And so what I'm saying is it takes a lot to get to that level. I'm not fully at that level, but I'm having the breakthroughs. And a lot of those breakthroughs have come off the mats. Like you said, we're doing, we're shooting episodes. I'm writing a lot. I'm yeah. thinking a lot. I'm hiking a lot. Some of the martial arts journey, the warrior poet journey happens off the mat too, because you have a lot of hours off the mat too. Right. So you can still, I'm still shadow boxing. I'm still thinking about fighting. I'm watching Instagram. I'm watching jujitsu. I still, I'm not even on the mats, but I'm watching. How did he set that up? How did Mikey Musumeci enter into that sequence? My brain is still on it. So I am still consumed. I'm thinking of how do I get my high kick higher? How do I, you know, I see Joe Rogan with that mule kick. How do I put more heat, more sizzle on my mule kick? I'm mm. always thinking about that. I'm That's always thinking cool. about that. That's very cool. Very cool. Well, I'm going to uh, ask for us to wrap up here because uh, um, it's Sunday afternoon. I'm going to get the family out into some sunshine and let's uh, do some family bonding thing. You know, you're not supposed to be an angel, nor are you a devil, you know, nor are you a demon. You know, it's that's being authentic. Um being authentic, bringing your true self, but you're showing up. And so um, let's just keep showing up. You know, um, let's just keep showing up. We're going to have our uh, one-year anniversary episode. That sounds like a forceism. That sounds kind of like a forceism. I don't know. Maybe not. Keep showing up. I yeah. Keep showing up. I've been, I've been writing, writing that one a lot in my uh, – Keep showing up. The other one you, you just made me think of is every, every saint has a past – 
and every sinner has a future. Not my quote, but I love that quote. Every, yeah, that's a very common. Yeah, past every sinner has a future. Well, I, I I thought about you know I look I look you know I look up to uh, uh, Enzo quite a bit, but I did see where he stepped on somebody's face after beating them, and uh, you know um, you know he that was not his highest self. Um, you know he still pooped in his mama's but. Um, diapers you know i mean everyone's human we're human um it's what we strive is an aspirant no if you're going to be the everyman the name of the podcast you named it after the shakespeare whatever term if you're going to be the everyman you got to dance with your dark side too absolutely oh yes you got it every every the every man the every woman the the true martial artist has danced definitively with the, with the with the dark side of themselves you can't you can't get to enlightenment you can't get to that higher ground without there it spares no one you got to go through those storms mm-hmm. you gotta you gotta dance in the darkness you gotta nobody gets spared buddy yeah no one gets spared i, I know i've got a fight that i'm lining myself up to um which is quit junk eating um but uh i'm gonna have to start checking out what you've been eating um, I'm not going to go vegetarian or, uh, you don't have to. yeah, I, I, it just, that's just not for me, but, um, culturally it's just doesn't work for me, but, um, I'm not vegetarian by the way. So don't, don't slam. No, I know, but you, you know, I, I don't for see me. you slaying chickens. Um, no. but anyways, Hey, um, you know, we're a little, we're, we're not quite at our anniversary episode. But I'm going to say, man, we, you know, we've covered a lot of ground and I've changed the stuff. The space between my ears has changed quite a bit um, in multiple ways, Um, you know, because I feel like who I got to say this and go. I got to say this and drop the mic. Okay, I got to say it and drop the mic. Neiman. um, Henzo. The guys at at Hensel Gracie Academy, the imposter in me, he's talking about imposter syndrome, the imposter in me, that little voice again, who are you to have a podcast on jujitsu? You, you look like a, you look like a freaking tourist. The way you show up at Hensel's to train. You do have a better beard than Miguel Torres will ever have. That's any (laughs) consolation. Uh, it's just I, I want you know. There's a bit of imposter in me, like I'm not training enough. I'm not training consistently, but it's just been my life has not been there. But when I am, I'm there. I'm like killing it. You know, I have the twenty somethings. You know, they will tell you. Um, Orville will you tell you. You might not be training the jujitsu, but you might be training the mind jitsu. De- definitely, uh, definitely on the <laughs> mind jitsu. But uh, yeah, let me drop the mic there. I will see you again soon. Um, um, but man, one great why you just don't need one. Repeat, don't go repeating that too much because that really is that's one of my that's one of my babies, and I don't want that's awesome. I can't stop it now. OGW, OGW, that's a Frank Forza Forza ism. You got to give credit on that one. So that that's no, wait, maybe uh, it's one GW. I gotta think about this one GW. Yeah, don't give everybody these ideas now. Come on. I love it. No, I love it. We're going to have to get some T-shirts made because if we're going to start this whole 
t-shirt trading thing with our guests. We've got some Forzaisms left and right on this show. That's Keep right. showing up is, a, is, is one of those. Uh, that, that's a Forzaism. I'm going to write KSU. It's at Kansas State University. All right. Let's go. I'm going to talk to you Goodbye. later. All right. Good talking to Bye, you. Noah. Thank you, buddy. Thank you. Bye. That's it for today's episode of Everyman BJJ. Thanks for listening. Look for new episodes of Everyman BJJ every week, wherever you get your podcast or at everymanbjj.com.